You probably thought you were going to get a 10-part sermon today, uh, a few thoughts on each one of these commandments. But what I wanted to deal with here today is the introduction to the Ten Commandments, where you have God in the mount with Moses, and he spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. There was a martyr called Polycarp. He was one of the early Christian martyrs. Well, thank you again for joining with us here on Let the Bible Speak. And we're back into Exodus chapter 20 and the out of bondage theme. God's people brought out of bondage into freedom to serve and live for God with his word and his commandments. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 is our text today, and I trust that you will turn with me as uh, we into the Bible as we look at this text. We come to the conclusion of the matter of this passage. Paul has the great ability to wrap up a subject in a simple gospel statement. He says, For by grace are ye saved. Oh, that every soul in the world would get a hold of that truth. So let's back up a little and take in the scope of Paul's argument that leads to this gospel conclusion. He says here in verse 6, And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. The key word of the passage is saved. Christians are saved people. They take that epithet with gladness, for it is the sum of the story of their personal salvation. Once I was lost, but now I am found. Once I was perishing as in the miry clay of the pit, but the Lord has lifted me out and saved my soul. Once I was going to hell due to the guilt of my sin, but now I am saved and now I am sure that I'm going to heaven. Anyone who fights the word saved or the need to be saved is still in the bond of sin's iniquity and knows nothing of the power of the gospel. What Paul stated in this text, Ephesians 2.8 is that we were saved by God's power. It was God's grace as the cause and the effectual power in its operation within our hearts that saved our souls. You will note that Paul is in the mood to argue this point. In a number of ways, he insists that it was grace and grace alone that saved our souls. First, for he refers to the cause. It could be stated because, and the Greek word is often translated that way, as because, he argues the point that only if God saves us by grace will he get the glory for it, which is the truth of verse 7, to show the exceeding riches of his grace. Second, Paul states the same truth negatively. He says, for by grace are you saved, that, and that's the positive side, then the negative comes, and that not of yourselves. Just in case some would get that idea, that they were able to awaken themselves out of the tomb of sin's death grip, and arouse themselves to turn to God in their own strength. Third, Paul further points out, it is the gift of God. If the apostle wanted to be really dogmatic and use the strongest terms possible, what else might he add? 
Can there be any stronger way to put it that our salvation is all of God, all flowing to us out of his love, kindness, and pure mercy? All that we did was believe. We heard the gospel message about God's plan of mercy for sinners. We recognized it as our hope and our way to be delivered from sin. We prayed for that mercy. We pleaded for God to save us and make it really happen to us personally. Faith is the instrument by which we receive God's grace. It is the outstretched hand to accept God's mercy. But it is an empty hand, a bankrupt hand. And still, God bestows all his salvation upon us. Then again, and I said that Paul was in the mood to argue this point, that we are saved by grace alone. He adds in verse 9, not of works, lest any man should boast. And that is exactly what proud sinners would do if they had the slightest part in their own salvation and could take the credit for being saved. No, 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 no. And a thousand no's. It is all of grace. Take that in, accept it, and go on your way rejoicing that salvation is all of God, it is all of grace, and you are secure in the saving work of the Lord from A to Z. Now to the message on Exodus 20, Out of Bondage. It's not according to our knowledge only, but it is to be knowledge on fire, fervent love, engaged in loving the Lord. God sometimes accepts the willingness without the work, but never the work without the willingness. And if we are willing and ready, our worship and efforts may be trivial, but out of that willing, ready, warm heart, God is glorified. Cheerfulness is sweeter in our fellowship than anything else. That, that's what God requires. And this is part of the Lord's Prayer. That is, joy would remain in us. I hope you notice that in John 15, verse 11, that my joy might remain in you. He wants our worship to be happy. He wants us to be the happiest people on earth. And there is no uh, anomaly. There is no uh, disagreement between holiness and happiness. By keeping God's law, we have indeed the steps to happiness. We have a heart uh, that is delighting in exercising and doing God's will. And surely this joy is our strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And so these are ways by which you and I can enter into a closer walk with God, into a happier fellowship with God, and live with a sense of victory in this world. I hope that you have that. These are the steps to enjoy it. And if someone asks me as a pastor the pastoral question, how can I get my joy back? I've lost the joy of the Lord. And somewhere along the way in the last month or two, everything is just so cold and mechanical. I've lost the joy. Well, we come back to God's will for our lives. And if you're out of God's will, you lose the joy. But when you're in the center of God's will, he pours in his spirit, his grace, his joy. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments, and my joy I give unto you. And this is the promise. 
And so somewhere along the way, we stepped out, lost uh, our way, and we need to get back into that pathway that exalts and pleases the Lord. Now, you may say, what, what am I talking about? It might have been a lie, one of the commandments. Thou shalt not bear false witness. It might have been a lie. It might have been a murderous thought, a spirit of hatred that can enter our hearts, and we become so consumed with a bitter attitude, we've lost the blessedness. Or maybe we have taken the Lord's name in vain. Maybe we have put something in the place of our God, and that kills the joy. And so we see the relevancy of this. We see that it ought to be a fervent obedience that leads to the happiness with God. One more point here, number four, there will be an extensive obedience. And we will keep every one of God's commandments. In Psalm 119, the psalmist said, Then shall I not be ashamed when I have respect unto all thy commandments. Now, some will pray with all their might, but not give. Some might give, but not pray. Some may do one thing, but neglect another. And so, uh, the, the secret to this is that we get our whole lives into conformity to the revealed and known will of God. Now, if we keep the sixth commandment, which says, thou shalt not murder, but by bearing false witness or telling a lie, we assassinate someone's character, then we have failed to keep all of the law of God. And so we must keep them all. And the Lord Jesus did not say, if ye keep some of my commandments, but rather he said, if ye love me, keep my commandments. And the part that we leave undone is the part that spoils the whole and robs us of the blessing. And I suppose for ladies, the illustration that comes to my mind, if you're baking a cake, and there is the, the recipe with, well, we'll say 10 things uh, as we're thinking of the 10 commandments. There's 10 ingredients, and you put in nine of them, but there's one you leave out. And for some reason, oh, I don't want to be bothered with that one. And you leave that one out, and you put the other nine in, and you mix up the, the batter, and you put it in the oven, and it comes out not proper just because of one ingredient. And so we need, as Christians, to keep all of the law of God. We do not allow anything to spoil the blessing. Uh, we do not take the attitude, well, I'm a good person because I do this, 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 and this, and that little thing, that doesn't matter. It'd be like employing someone to paint your house, and there is that window right up at the top, and maybe the ladder's a bit short, and maybe the person like me doesn't like heights, and so doesn't want to climb up there, and he paints everything, but just leaves that one window uh, in its flaky uh, wood bare picture, and it's a great paint job on the house, but there's one window not done. And of course, the, the whole thing is spoiled for the lack of one part. And so we see the extensive uh, obedience that God requires of us. Uh, the Lord Jesus said to the Pharisees, 
that ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done, and not to leave the other undone. And anyway, the law of God is one whole, for it comes from the heart of God. And this is the Christian's attitude. We don't fight uh, over how can we get the most for the least. We don't say, oh, well, how can we uh, just do the littlest amount and get the whole blessing? No, we enter into it. This is our God, and these are designed for our good. And I will, by His grace, enter into this with all my heart and with all my soul. And number five now. Come to point number five on this whole matter. There will be godly obedience. It will be for God's glory. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, Do all to the glory of God, and it will honor Him and glorify Him. And the aim and object is all important. Do I want to please God and honor Him, or do I just want to escape the matter and quieten my conscience? Is it to feel good, or is it really that I might walk with God? Now, that's a very, very insightful question. Do I just want to feel good, or do I really want to walk with God? And the born-again Christian who is regenerate and the law of God is written on his heart, we read of that in Romans, uh, Hebrews chapter 8, the law of God written on your heart. This is the special operation of the Spirit of God that there is now this desire, this burden to do God's will in your life. It's not a burden. It's not grievous, but it is a blessing. And it brings us the, the highest absolute joy because we can walk with God. Now, we all confess that we fall short. Now, the person can shoot short but he has a good aim. And our aim is to glorify God. That's our aim. Now, we may come short of that. We do all the time. If someone looks at my life and looks at your life, they may say, that person does not perfectly reflect all the glory of God. There's warts and pimples. There's failures. There's shortcomings in that person's life. But if you knew that person's prayer life, if you knew how they go to the Bible that they may listen to God's voice, if you knew how they went to the house of God saying, Lord, give me a word that will make me and change me into the image and the character of my God, if you knew the burden of that soul, you would say, he's aiming right. But through the weakness of the flesh and the temptations of the world and all the works and hindrances of the world, we fall short. That's the burden, and that's the desire of the Christian. Now, may I be allowed to add one more thing? I said five. You're allowed? Okay. It will be a Christ-centered obedience. Unless anybody thinks that we're going away from the gospel, away from the cross, or away from justification by faith alone, because that's the impression some people get. 
When you preach the law, the Ten Commandments, and the rule of law for the Christian, some people think, well, you're getting away from what was done at the cross. Jesus paid it all, and His blood atones, and His blood saves. But the Christian is depending on that blood for salvation, and that blood alone. We are not adding the law as a way of redemption or a way of salvation. And that's why this introduction in, he, in Exodus 20 is so important, because God introduces Himself. He says, I am the Lord thy God that brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of bondage. And we take that in the gospel now. I am the one that you have trusted in at the cross. I've washed you in my blood. I've redeemed you. I've set you free. But now, if we love Christ, the one who redeemed us, and everything we do is now accepted in Christ, every work, every attempt to keep the law, we are accepted. I'm accepted as a person in Christ, and my worship is accepted, and my little works are accepted however short they may be. Now, I want to prove this. I want to lay this on here by going to Ephesians chapter 1 and the verse 6 here, I believe. Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 6, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. Now, of course, that's the gospel. And I'm accepted in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. Now, the point I want to make, that this is a Christ-centered obedience, is that everything the Christian does because we are related to Christ, everything we do is accepted because I've been accepted. And God accepts my praise because He has accepted me in His Son. He accepts my walk because He has accepted me in His Son. And every attempt, every motion, every movement of my body, mind, and soul to walk with God, He accepts because I am accepted in the Lord Jesus. Another way of putting this is everything we do in Jesus' name is accepted. And whatsoever we ask in His name, we now are accepted, because the Lord Jesus is our great high priest. We read in the Old Testament a man called King Uzziah who offered incense without a priest. He was a king. He had no priest, and he went in, and he offered incense, and he was not accepted. He needed a priest to offer up godly worship. You and I today as Christians have a priest. We have a great high priest. We have one in glory who's praying for us. And all that we offer is accepted through Him and by His grace and for His glory. And so here we lay it out. The will of God, the rule, the command to obey— is something that every one of us take to heart. And this becomes our new life, our new walk. 
This is our motive for praying. Lord, I'm going to pray for grace for this. I want to be an overcomer. I want to be an obedient Christian. I want to have the blessing. I want to be more like my God. And these are the ways by which we do it. And so I trust today that the Lord speaks to your heart. Now, there may be someone here today and you say, but Every time I read the Ten Commandments, it only convicts me. And so it should. So it should. Because there's none of us that have ever kept the law of God perfectly. Every time you read the Ten Commandments, it's going to prick your conscience because you are guilty of not having God as your only true God. You are guilty of taking his name in vain. You are guilty of not honoring your parents from a child. And you can look back on those perhaps rebellious years as a child or a teenager and what guilt it brings, what shame it brings. And we go right down the line, thou shalt not kill. And Jesus said, if you have murder in your heart, that is equal to committing the murder. Or if you've looked upon another woman with lust after her, you've committed adultery in your heart. And write down, envy, coveting. We're guilty. The law of God points to our sin. But that law for you, if you're not yet a Christian, it points to you your need of a Savior. And it's like a schoolteacher, Paul says, that points out to you, A, B, C, you are guilty, and you have no hope of heaven in your natural state. You need a Redeemer, and you need to come to the cross for salvation, that those sins—and sin is the transgression of the law, as the Bible says. That's how the Bible defines it. Sin is the transgression of the law. It's the breaking of those commandments. And you now, as you sit, are guilty in God's sight. The law is condemning you. Therefore, you need to be washed in the blood of the Lamb. And you need the one whom God sent into the world to deliver us from the curse. And you remember what it was said, that he was made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law. And that's you. You're under the law. And the law is like ten fingers pointing right at you, guilty, 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 ten times. And the only way to be free from that curse or the guilt of sin is to trust in the Redeemer that God sent. And on that cross, God made His Son to be a curse for us, that we would know no curse. This is the great liberty that we have when we come as believers unto the Lord Jesus. And I want you to know today that you can never get to heaven climbing a ladder of those Ten Commandments. You cannot say, well, I'm going to start now. I'm going to have a clean slate, and I'm going to do things differently. Well, first of all, you've got a great mountain of sin behind you. And secondly, you cannot keep those Ten Commandments perfectly. You will fail every time. There's no hope for you without a Savior. That's what the law does. The law is not a savior. The law is a mirror. 
And as I hold up the law of God to before you now, and you look into that mirror, what do you see? You only see your sin. You see your failure and your guilt, your condemnation. But I've got good news for you. Romans 8, 1. If any man be in Christ, there is no condemnation. No condemnation. Because by believing on the Lord Jesus, trusting in his grace, you are free from all the condemnation of sin. That's a mighty wonderful thing. This is the good news of the gospel. But you had to get the bad news first before you can understand the good news. Without the bad news, sin is destroying you. You're guilty. Then you can appreciate why you need a Savior and the wonderful Savior whom God has sent to be your Redeemer. Will you trust Him today? Will you come to Him? You came to this church, uh, probably not knowing what you would hear, but you've heard about the law and how it condemns and convicts, and you realize that's your state. And if you die in your present state, you're a lost soul. But you can leave this church today redeemed, cleansed, washed, justified, accepted in the Lord Jesus. And if you come personally and trust the Lord, He will save you. He'll save you now. And I'll be delighted to take the time with you to point that out from the Bible. And what I usually request is that you just sit in the seat where you are when everyone else leaves, and I'll come and we'll talk. And we'll pray and seek the Lord. May the Lord draw near and answer prayer today.
This is Pastor Ian Gallagher. Call me, please, at 604-897-2040. For all the details of our broadcasts across Canada, go to ltbs.ca. This broadcast comes to you today from the Free Presbyterian Church in Cloverdale, located at 18790 58th Avenue, Surrey, at the corner of 188th Street and 58th Avenue. Our website is cloverdealfpc.ca and there you can find gospel articles, links to our sermons, a gospel booklet called A New Beginning and a link to watch our services online. You're warmly invited to attend any of our Sunday services at 10.30am and 6pm to meet with us as we worship God and to hear the preaching of His precious Word. We also meet for Bible study and prayer every Wednesday evening at 7.30pm. Our Sunday School for Children and Adult Bible Class meet every Lord's Day at 9.30am from September to June. You can contact us at 604-567-1091. Alternatively, you can email me at pastor.cloverdealfpc at gmail.com. Again, for all this information, please visit our website at cloverdealfpc.ca. Our burden is that you will hear and understand the gospel that will bring you to know the Lord Jesus Christ and his great salvation. This is Pastor Andrew Fitton. Thank you for listening today. And be sure to listen Monday to Friday at 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. and on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our one-hour church service as we worship the Lord through the ministry of His Word.